Everybody and welcome to the Home Record Podcast. I am <laughs> one, wondering what the hell that was. Holy cow! Like a damn elephant walking around in my mm. in my house. Yikes! Okay, I am the Golden Greek Alex Harion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely Monique, who thought she smacked me in the face. A second ago, or I threw my poked arms me in the up. eye, or something. I don't know what you. I put my arms up, and all of a sudden, he's like turning his head and wincing, and I'm like, "Did I hit him? I didn't think I hit him." We have this light. I'm gonna break the fourth wall here for a minute. We have this light for our. It's a ring light. Thank you, and it's really bright, and it's shining on us right now at for the watchers. So that you can see us better, I, I guess. Because if we just have the other lights on, it creates a shadow. and it We're trying it to look somewhat professional, which trying. is what this is. And it really hurts my eyes. So I was squinting because I happened to look directly at it right before we came. I was coming in to say hello and welcome to the Home Record Podcast. And you were, thought you hit me in the face or something because you're looking at me going, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You're mouthing the word sorry to me. And I'm like... For what? What are you talking about? And they're like, I thought I hit you in the face. Like, you couldn't tell if you hit me in the face? Like, what? I didn't feel myself hitting, but then I'm like, <laughs> did I? I don't know. Good grief. Anywho. So, we are back this week. Once again, we decided to put out a bonus episode. So, you're listening to this now. After WrestleMania, mm-hmm. because we decided that the other episode we put out Saturday morning of WrestleMania as a as a bonus. Yeah, so, we're, we're recording this yes. the Friday before WrestleMania, and we just talked about all WrestleMania stuff. We're like, we should really put it out before WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, it kind of again that was my fault because I timed everything wrong. If you listen to the last episode, you know what I'm talking about. I had peaked my wrestling mode if you will my my attitude my my excitement everything was getting geared for last week on the because, wrong because weekend. i had the wrong weekend yeah and so kind of threw everything off recording schedules the whole nine yards all my fault but anyway so we decided we're gonna do two episodes this week put one out uh, Saturday, and then this this one will come out on a normal day, yeah. Wednesday. But we're still going to talk a little bit about we're, we're going to talk, talk some wrestling. more about wrestling, just a little bit. And uh, and, and I think because we didn't really talk about it, the two of us, but I think it might take a turn towards some of the things that we normally normally talk, talk about. about. Yeah, we're probably going to go on there the show. Thanks. We might go there. We'll see. But before we get into that, 
is there anything you want to mention or talk about? Yes, I am very excited to announce I am going to be a part of a virtual symposium this Saturday, April 9th. Every time I hear virtual symposium, I think, wow. It sounds so fancy. I'm on a panel. I'm going to talk. What is that about? Well, let me tell you. I was listening to our dear friend Karen Rontowski's podcast, Paranormal Karen, and she had a guest, Andrea Land, who's been on the show before, always has a great amount of information. Andrea Land also has her, she has multiple podcasts, but one is the Grooving Goddess podcast. And when Andrea was talking on Karen's show, she was talking about her I guess, soul origins before incarnating on earth, her star seed origins, her soul before coming to earth to help about being from a planet. And as she described this planet, Mintaka, I just went back to a past life regression that I had and that you had that I had my own personal personal past life regression that I had that I had experienced where it was before I incarnated on earth I had set my intention before I did this past life regression to find out more about why am I the way I am and it went back to pre-earth incarnation and where I was was essentially it was like being in water but it wasn't like water here. It was like its own atmosphere. And we had our own language, but we also kind of telepathically communicated. And it was very interesting. So everything she's saying about this place sounded like where I went in my past life regression. So she said that she's having an awakening Mintaka virtual symposium. And I thought, I want to be a part of this in some way, whether I just go and listen or see if I can talk about past life regression and hypnosis and how we can find more about ourselves by using that. And I reached out to her and I only know, knew a little bit of what she had spoke about on Karen's podcast, describing Mintaka. So I emailed her and I told her about my experience in my past life regression. And I said, I don't know if this is Mintaka or maybe somewhere like it or close. I don't know. And I figured I only have a little bit of information and she knows. So if I'm putting stuff out there that I experienced that isn't part of it, nothing like it, at least I know, okay, it's not this. But when Andrea wrote back to me, she said that I was hitting so much like things that she didn't describe and I was on point with it and told me a little bit more about it and it it was just fascinating to me because I thought here's this place that anytime you do something like past life regression you always think oh did my mind make it up but other people I knew nothing about this place and other people can describe it it made me think about Michael Newton's work with life between lives and how all these people are having the same experience that never met before, never knew each other. How would they know about it? And so I just thought it was fascinating. So I'm going to be speaking about my past life experience with Mintaka, and I'm going to be doing a past life regression group hypnosis session to try to bring people 
to a past life before their incarnation on earth. So I'll be doing that on Saturday, April 9th. It's from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time, and it's absolutely free. So if this is something that you're interested in, I'll have the link in the show notes and you can sign up and it's free and it's a lot of great information. Another speaker there, Serafina Blackman, another guest I found on Paranormal Karen. I had an appointment with her, a reading with her, and it was absolutely amazing. And she'll be speaking there too. So again, if you're into the stuff I'm into that we're into, if this is interesting to you, sign up. I, I think it'll be not only interesting but possibly educational you can learn a lot about yourself that sounds cool i this is like i want to get regressed to do like a past life thing and everything but i almost feel like the more i hear the more you tell me the more i i kind of almost don't know if i'm going to trust what i find because you have to trust no, I know, but what I'm saying is I feel like almost like maybe my subconscious will have been too influenced by too many of the stories I've heard or things that I've seen or whatever. I mean, I don't I, know. I was doing past life regression and I hear all these other regression stories, but yet I have my own. All right, fair enough. I'm just telling you yeah. how I feel. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to trust what I get. I worry for, about that too, but then that. I have I'm my own just, experience. I'm just I know. telling you. I'm just my... getting excited because I get. Right. I worry about that too. Oh, all right, all right. So cool. it's cool. It's hard to tell with you because you give me so much crap. Damn it! Right before we went on, I got made fun of because I was squinting to see. I was. You gave me a hard time for that, and you said I'm overly sensitive. I don't think I'm overly sensitive at all. I think you're just overly jerky i was showing him something on my phone (laughs) and he's like like all dramatic and i i feel like it's this automatic wrestler in him instinct reaction to do things that are just over the top because in wrestling when you're in the ring you have to like make it really dramatic so everyone can see it so when you have a reaction you can't just be like gently subtly oh let me adjust this it's like really have to make a spectacle of it and I feel like that is just so ingrained into you it's just automatically what you do and it's kind of cool because it's just how you are it's like that wrestler that is just part of who you are so I'm a douche I had a good run I went 44 years without needing glasses and then all of a sudden I found out I can't see my eyesight's starting to go on me, so I have to squint. And sometimes I have to move stuff back and forth so my eyes can focus. Apparently, that is, that's not normal. That's not normal. That is the wrestler in me. So, I... No. Yes. Looking at it and moving it slowly, you do... Like this thing. It's just so, like... <sighs> More apparent. This is, this is, I left the wrestling locker room in ribs and I just get it for my wife now nonstop. It's, it's outstanding. <laughs> I can't, I just can't get away from it ever. It's, it's wonderful. But I'm overly sensitive about it. So I, I, I guess I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm just putting you over now. I love you. Yes. And I you love, love you. me, thank goodness. Yes. Some, Damn it, I, somebody has to. Somehow I still do. Somehow. Bless your heart. <laughs> Jeez. 
Anyway, yes. What a conversation. What a, what a first 10 minutes we've had on this podcast. Uh, wow. Goodness. So we, we ended last week kind of not on a well, cliffhanger. Well, last episode. Or, well, yeah, okay. Last episode, you're right. Sorry. Kind of on a, I guess, a cliffhanger. Yeah. Not, not really. We didn't really get into the topic. We just said we're going to talk about it this time. So we were what we've been watching wrestling and everything gearing up for WrestleMania and we watched the ultimate warrior hall of fame speech. And then the subsequent two days after that hall of fame speech, he was on Monday night raw and kind of gave like an in-ring promo interview, whatever you want to call it. And then he died the next night. So it was very eerie because just watching, and we didn't just watch the Hall of Fame. Like I, I actually have the uh, a Blu-ray that they put out after he passed away, and they the, the way WWE does so it's pretty crazy. Like they had cameras, just they're always filming everything. So part of it, I I feel like when you have a camera on you, you're not always going to be your true authentic self because there's a camera on you, and even if it's something that they say, well, we're not putting this on, and it's just we always have the cameras on, so just whatever. You're still, I feel like if there's a camera on you, you're performing in some respect. You're not going to be your full authentic self. Just my opinion, but whatever. Anyway, they had a, a camera crew following Ultimate Warrior around for, I guess, weeks, uh, doing videos and interviews at his home, it looked like, and then following him around the weekend of the Hall of Fame and everything. So they were just with him. Like he had a documentary crew with him the entire time. So you're getting him going to the arena, going to the hotel, all that stuff. And so you'd see him running into various people from his past. And he was a very, very outspoken guy, a very polarizing guy. You're making a face. What's up? No. You cut me off anytime. He was outspoken. But when you go back and listen, he was speaking out for what he truly believed and what he felt was right. And regardless of whether people agree with him or not on some of the things he was vocal about. Oh, what are you talking about? Well, he, he didn't get like political with stuff and people kind of, that was after I'm not talking about that. Aside that, but just as a person, he said what he felt and he didn't want to play games. And so that I feel like a lot of people don't like that because what did we say in previous episodes about the truth? Right. So he was a guy and and remember pro wrestling is, it's a work. It's everything's everything about it is a work. It's a, it's deception, right? You're, You're the, the, the performers, the, the participants are deceiving the audience They're trying to make them suspend their disbelief and, and, and get sucked into what they're seeing as if it was real. It's deception, really. It's entertainment. I mean, it, it's entertainment, right. For It's deception for entertainment's sake, essentially. But especially in the time when Ultimate Warrior was breaking into the wrestling business, very, it was still very much, it wasn't as corporate as it is now, wasn't as mainstream. Well, I, 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 it was starting to get more mainstream, I guess, but it was very carny-ish, I guess. So they, it was still very much like, I guess you could say littered with con men, for for lack of a better word. I, I I don't know, but a lot of a lot of backstabbing, a lot of politics. I mean, it still goes on there too uh, today, I'm sure. But it was just very much 
going, you got to go along to get along, got to play politics, got to kiss ass, that kind of thing. And he wasn't that type of guy. And he was very much, he was respectful by all accounts, but not one of those kind of guys that would play bullshit politic games. Not an ass kisser. And didn't like to do the same kind of things that a lot of the other, the boys, the boys being the wrestlers, he didn't like to do a lot of the other stuff that the boys did. He wasn't into drinking and partying so much. He was a body guy. If you ever saw him, he looked like a superhero. Took his diet very seriously. There was a lot of stories, very famous stories about Ultimate Warrior going into the gas stations and would like buy all this junk food and he would take it and open the bags and just smell it and then throw it away. Like would buy it just to smell it and then throw it away. He would never eat it. He would smell it. And that would be enough. And then you throw it away. You get rid of the craving just by smelling it. A lot of those famous, famous stories, like a lot of stories of him on the road doing that kind of stuff because he was so militant, disciplined, and dedicated to his body and, and, and to the character that he was portraying. Obviously, he did a couple of other things that you probably not well, meaning, you know, steroids and that kind of thing. But at the time, I will say they were legal when he was doing them. It's not an excuse, but it's something that everybody in wrestling was doing. And some people would say, well, he probably took it to a different level or did more. I don't think so. I think the guy, he was a pro body. He was trying to get into pro bodybuilding before he got into wrestling. The guy went to school to be a chiropractor first. Very, he's an intelligent guy. And you could even tell after he got out of wrestling and everything that he did afterwards up, up to and leading to his return and then obviously passing away. Very intelligent guy, very smart guy, very well-spoken, very well-read. So he was a guy that made a lot of enemies because, again, he was a guy who went into, he got into the business, didn't know much, wasn't very athletic, but he looked like a million bucks. So especially in the 80s when that was kind of the big thing was bodies he got he got a lot more chances than most people because of how the way that he looked. So he got to the WWF at the time, and he says so right in his documentary. He went right into Vince's office before he was even on TV with a notebook and had ideas, and said, "I have these ideas. Can you can you help give he? I forget how he worded it exactly, but it was essentially like these are the things I these need are the things to help you. I need." Yeah can you give me these things and I will do, if you give me these things, this is what I need in order to be better to help you. Mm -hmm. Like saying uh, to help you to Vince. Help me help you. Uh, Right. Essentially that's what, and, and nobody ever did that. And he said that after that, he got a meeting with Vince anytime he wanted. So Vince obviously saw in him a guy who is not like all the other guys. He's going to, he's a go-getter. Obviously, he's a guy who, he's new, not even on TV, and he's walking in, he doesn't care. Here, here, I got a notebook. Here's a list of ideas, a list of things I need to succeed here to make you money, essentially is what he was saying. So Vince, being a businessman, obviously respected that, remembered that, and then started to figure out ways to get this guy over. And 
Ultimate Warrior would told stories. He would go to the ring, and when at first he wasn't running, he was just walking and just you know doing his thing, whatever he did. And then he started shaking the ropes. That just kind of happened one time, and the guys in the back, the veteran wrestlers, the other wrestlers there, don't do that. Don't do that shake the ropes thing. And he would say, "Oh, okay," and he would just agree, be respectful. But Vince never told him not to do that, and that's his boss. So. Vince tells him not to do it, but he's hearing the people when he does it, people are going nuts. So he's like, well, I'm going to keep fucking doing it. And the the boss ain't saying anything and the people are loving it. So I'm going to keep doing it. So he gets the reputation now from the guys who are telling him, don't do that. Who are probably just jealous guys who see this guy looks like a million bucks is getting out there. Now he's getting, now the people are actually reacting to him. Oh shit. And that's how wrestling, I don't know if it still is or not, because I'm not involved much anymore, but it wouldn't shock me if it's still like this. You have people that are very territorial and protective of their position on the card, and they don't want some new guy coming in and succeeding. Sad to say, but that's how it was. Well, he didn't care, and he said, fuck it, I'm going to get over. And he did whatever he had to do to get over, and he got, he was so over that he's the guy that they decided they're going to build a company around. So Hulk Hogan can now move on and start doing movies and whatever he's going to do. So yeah, they he essentially went within two years was the top guy in the business. Of course you're going to make enemies because you have guys there that have been there for years and years who are much better in the ring as performers, but maybe you're not, don't have as great a connection with the crowd, not selling as much merchandise. So Vince is not going to put the belt on them or whatever, you know, whatever the politics were. So he made a lot of enemies. A lot of people didn't like him. And I think, again, not knowing personally, but just from hearing stories from people throughout the years and everything, he kind of, when he got to that position where he was the top guy now, now it was all those people that were telling him the things before. And I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I'm just going to say, Ted DiBiase, for example, because he did point him out during his Hall of Fame speech. He kind of singled him out. I don't know that this happened or not. Say, for example, if Ted DiBiase was one of the guys who said, don't shake those ropes, well, now Ultimate Warrior is probably looking at Ted DiBiase going, you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do anymore. I'm the fucking world heavyweight champion now. I'm the top guy. And and it wouldn't shock me if he maybe did kind of throw it back in somebody's face here and there. Which, when you get to the top of the mountain, sometimes things can go to your head. I don't, again, I don't know. I'm just guessing. But he made enemies along the way. Which you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to do, especially in the wrestling business. And then what happened was in 91, August of 91, there's so many different versions of this story. The popular version put out by the WWE is that Ultimate Warrior went up to Vince McMahon right before going to the ring for a SummerSlam pay-per-view and said, I want $500,000 cash or I'm not going to the ring. And Vince said, fine, and, and gave him the money. And then when he got out of the ring, he fired him. That's, the, that's their version of the story. There were a bunch of lawsuits that took place and discovery, whatever they call it, and a bunch of documents that are out there that they don't quite portray the story in that way. 
uh, I believe Sergeant Slaughter went on record and was saying that Vince told him before the match, because the match was Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior against Sergeant Slaughter and, and the Iron Sheik, I believe. I, I, I don't remember. But Vince told Sergeant Slaughter beforehand that what was going on and that Ultimate Warrior was holding him up for money and <laughs> whatever. Again, not being there, not knowing, obviously you hit you, but Ultimate Warrior's side of the story was not that. It was more so that he was owed money, I believe from merchandise or a royalty check, something to that effect. And I believe the total was for $500,000. And he wanted that money because it was owed to him. And Vince kind of twisted that around to, he's holding me up for money. <laughs> that's, that's so. Well, technically <laughs> he is, but it's his earned money. So, I mean, would you keep sure. working somewhere if they're not paying you? Sure. Right. Exactly. And, and, and again, there's been the, to get the full true story, you'd have to get Vince and the ultimate warrior both in a room and, and, and tell, and get them to talk and hash it out and kind of go through it. I think to get the actual real story because, and, and obviously that isn't going to happen now because one of them isn't here anymore. But it definitely is not the way the WWE side says. And I think even the way the Warriors side says, I think it's probably somewhere in the middles where the truth lies. But anyway, so he's gone after after SummerSlam. He's gone for a good six, eight months. And he comes back the following year, 1992 at WrestleMania. He returns actually in the main event. He does a surprise run in, uh, in, in Hulk Hogan's match and makes his return. But he's like... He had shorter hair. He looked about 50 pounds lighter. This is where you thought, like, people thought it was, like, a fake, right? It was, this is exactly where people thought, oh, the Ultimate Warrior died. And he came back. They, they got another guy to play the part. This was, like, a popular, I, I thought it, too, at first, because I, I didn't know. And, and it didn't look like the same guy at all. Like, at all. But what happened was, he... He thought he was done wrestling, essentially, so he didn't have to take all the 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 steroids. He definitely wasn't on any steroids when he came back, and he looked like he just lost. Like he looked like he was in shape. He was in shape. Don't get me wrong, but he, he just was wasn't like big. he was. He had to be forty to fifty pounds lighter, and I'm, that's not a joke. I mean, you can see the before and after pictures and go look them up. But yeah, so people thought it was a different guy, but it wasn't. It was the same guy. He came back. He just wasn't as big. And and then by that point, the WWF had started testing for steroids and doing all that kind of thing. So he wasn't doing the stuff that he had been doing previously. But throughout his run, he was there another six or seven months. He started to get a little bigger again, a little more ripped and in shape. And I think it was more so just because he was now training harder to look, try to look like he used to. He gets fired again November of that year. And this time it was because uh, he and the British Bulldog, remember him? They, they, I guess, were good buddies. And they got popped for growth hormone. And I, from the, the story, the way I heard it was one of them left a vial of it in their hotel room. And the maid found it and thought it was like drugs or something and called the police. So it ended up being like this big thing. And that's the only reason Vince found out about it. And what the story, the way I heard it was, it wasn't Warriors or Davy Boys. It wasn't either of theirs. But I guess a, uh, 
a popular thing that the guys apparently used to do is they'd all go into warrior's room if they were shooting up any kind of steroids or growth hormone or anything like that. It would all go into like one guy's room. And it just so happened that on that, whatever stop they were at when they were on the road, everybody was shooting up at his room that night and somebody forgot to throw their stuff away. And warrior just said, yeah, it was mine just to take the heat to, you know, kind of take a bullet for the boys, I guess, even though it wasn't his, but he, he took the rap for it and he ended up getting fired. So that, so from there he was gone. He was out of wrestling at that point for four years, I think at that point. And I had actually started following him a little bit at the time I was in high school and he was putting out, uh, he, he had started a wrestling school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was putting out a, a magazine, like a, like a, a weekly, not a weekly, excuse me. Is that the one warrior nation thing? He started that doing. he started doing that around that time, okay. yes. Uh, but he was doing like a like a newsletter that he was putting out, and I I he put an ad like in the back of a wrestling magazine. So I like wrote to it like, oh yeah, I'd like to get this information. Oh, Ultimate Warrior, awesome, yeah, whatever. And yeah, it, it, so he was like, he'd send these things in the mail, and he'd have like these long like just things about working out and believing in yourself and having discipline and everything. And it was like, what, this is the ultimate warrior. What? It was like really like inspirational, motivational kind of stuff. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And actually my quote in my, in my, you know how in your high school yearbook, you get to do a quote. Mm -hmm. I actually had a quote from the ultimate warrior. That was my quote, but I didn't use ultimate warrior. I used his real name, uh, which was Jim Helwig, James Helwig. Uh, but I, I had a quote from him from one of those letters that was my like senior yearbook quote. Uh, but yeah, it was just so I was following him at that point. And then 96 comes around and all of a sudden he's back. He comes back at WrestleMania 12. He's, he's going to be back. And he wrestles Hunter Hearst Helmsley in his return match, Triple H, and beat him in like 40 seconds. or It was ridiculous. It was quick. They just squashed him. And the story was that he was a like a dick to Triple H. Like Triple H was excited. He's brand new in the company. Coming in, is working his first WrestleMania. Comes up to Ultimate Warrior. I've got all these great ideas for a match. Blah, blah, blah. This and that. Like the st- the st- exciting stuff we could do in a Warrior set. Looked at him and said, I'm going to press you and, and splash you and pin you. That's it. That's what's happening. Like, he was just very curt with him. Very abrupt. And that was it. So obviously that rubbed Triple H the wrong way. It's not a good... First impression, really, right? And so, uh, and the reason I bring that up is because this will play into the story later. So then, I think he wrestled for maybe two months, and then he was fired again because he missed a bunch of house show dates, which, again, and this is another shady area, gray area. Apparently, his father passed away. And... He, his excuse to the office, to Vince, the, the, the agents and everything was that my father passed away. I'm going to take the weekend off or whatever it was, however many shows he missed. Vince knew that Warrior's father left when he was a kid. I think he was maybe 10 or 11 when his dad left and then they, and then he never had a relationship Mm -hmm. with him. So Vince thought, well, that's kind of weird that you're all broken up about a guy who you haven't seen in however many years which i try to see both sides of this one but i kind of feel like 
who the fuck are you, Vince, to decide how somebody's going to mourn or grieve their their father passing away, whether or not it was a part of their li- he was a part of their life or not? You know what I mean? I'm just going to interject because Please. I think sometimes just from the psychological aspect of it, sometimes people don't realize that there's trauma carried there. And this person could be having to now process that he'll never get a chance to tell his father how he felt, to try to possibly reconcile, to try to get some kind of understanding of why his dad left, to try to get something. That's not going to happen because now his dad is dead. And that can cause a lot of grief, overwhelming feelings. So I get the point of, well, you didn't have a relationship with him. Who cares? But. When you're a child and a parent leaves, that causes trauma that you carry typically throughout you, your life. And then for that parent to die without ever connecting and getting any kind of closure in any way, that can add on to the trauma like it's happening all over again. So maybe not necessarily grieving for the person, but for everything that they've went through. Sure. I I, I get all that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I kind of see both sides of it. But anyway, he's gone. So he leaves again. And then he shows up in the rival wrestling promotion at the time, WCW. And he was there for like maybe three months. And he was gone again. And then he was gone. Like you didn't hear from him or see him anywhere at all until I want to say it was 2004 or five. The WWE puts out a DVD. The self-destruction of the ultimate warrior. Wow. Was this, this was a hit piece. If there was ever a hit piece, they made this guy out to be the biggest dick, delusional, crazy person. They made him out to be like this whack job, which he, and, and they took what they did. The way they did it was they just took his interviews that he did as the character and made it out like this is the real he was guy. Crazy, yeah. Like he's crazy. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and the rocket fuel. <laughs> and it's <laughs> what, like on whatever the the crazy interviews he used to cut. Some kind of nonsense, but it's what he's doing. And you know, he's crazy. It's, he no, he just, never made sense. Nobody got him. Yeah, but it's, but it's like it's a gimmick, first of all, and. Uh, who okays all these promos? Who probably came up with half the ideas? It was probably Vince, like just sitting right there as the guy's cutting the promos and, and feeding them lines. You know what I mean? But anyway, it didn't matter. They put out this hit piece, and that that obviously upset the guy and hurt the guy because from his side of it, he'd moved on from wrestling. He'd left wrestling. He was done with it. He was just, whatever, I'm done with it. I made my mark. I did what I did. He made, now, this is the thing about Warrior. I told you about this the other day. He'd moved on, and he started, uh, he discovered painting and, and art, and he started doing these little, just drawings and paintings and things. He'd write and little he inspirational talented. messages on him. Yeah, and he actually got pretty good at it. And so he would do these paintings, and people, in, and he put them on his website and everything, and people started seeing them, and then people started asking, can I buy these? Can I buy that? Can I buy it? And so this guy was making he was making over a million a year just selling his custom art. So he didn't need wrestling. It's not like he needed it for any reason. He'd moved on and he was, he would do, you know, he had like a, like a blog essentially. And I, I don't think any of this stuff you can find anymore. And maybe you can, I don't know, but I wish it was, I wish I would have either printed it out or like screen capped it or something and saved it. Cause there was some gems on there. Like he used to just have like the, the, 
he was just very insightful in the way he would write about just different things. And it, it was just about uh, like a lot of the stuff that I saw, it was more just the virtue of, of being a, a man, of being a, a strong individual, being a caring person, a caring father. He was big on fathers and fatherhood and finding out what a father he became and, and turned out to be to his, he ended up having two daughters. It's, it's, it really, you could tell that was very special to him because it was something he didn't have. Mm-hmm. So he, you could tell that affected him so much that look what a great dad he was for his daughters. Right. He so broke, you can, he broke the cycle too. Sure. Absolutely. So anyway, he, uh, moving on, they do that DVD and then he sues the WWE for whatever the, whatever it was. It was over the, DVD obviously and just a lot of the stuff that was said about him because it wasn't even true it was just like what is this it's like it was a hit piece it was a smear piece and I don't even know what it was why they they decided at that time to put it out but they did anyway and and that's what happened so a lot of bad blood there a lot of bad feelings and litigation on both sides went on for years and eventually it got thrown out uh, I, I know I actually did hear uh, actually the ultimate warrior in an interview many years ago talking about the first time that he knew there was something wrong with his relationship with Vince and the company in, and this was in 96 when he came back that final time, they went to a, one of those like trade shows for, I forget what, what it's called, but it's like the Nat P convention or something. Anyway, it's like where they get broadcasters together and different networks and things to, to shop around their pilots for shows and that kind of thing. It's for advertisers and networks and stuff. I don't even, it, something they did back then. Anyway, he's at one of these shows making an appearance for the WWF at the time. And when he got in there, he saw one of their new banners and one of the new logos and one of the new uh, sayings for the company, always believe WWF or Wrestling Federation. And always believe was his thing that he trademarked for his company, Ultimate Creations. Yeah, so they stole his IP, his intellectual property, and were using it as their own. So he, that pissed him off. And he got them to stop doing that. But uh, but that was something that they were going to go with. They were going to market their whole company around that. And that was his idea and his, his intellectual property. So he knew then and there, fuck, something's up here. They're, they're going to try to fuck me over. And so I think that's when he started kind of backpedaling that's when he started he missed a couple dates and then his father passed away and that was kind of the end of it but anyway uh so there was always there was some shady stuff going on from the wwf side at the time so fast forward i think it was 2013 one of those uh one of the wwe video games came out and all of a sudden you see the ultimate warriors on the commercial for the video game and he's going to be in the new wwe video game somebody's like holy shit ultimate warriors like is he back? Like, what's going on? What's happening here? And so the way I heard this story, the way I heard the story was that somebody who happened to be working for the video game company knew somebody that worked at the WWE, and that's how they got Warrior's information to ask him to be in the video game. Because the video game, the... the whatever the company was, and I, and I believe it's a different company now that does it, but anyway, at the time, that company 
would individually reach out to independently reach out to people they wanted in the game if they weren't under contract to the WWE. So they reached out to Warrior and said, will you be in this video game? And I think he cut a deal independent of WWE, so they had nothing to do with it, but he was going to be in the video game. I, I believe that's how that went down. And from there, people started talking, and eventually the guy that reached out to Ultimate Warrior to try to extend the olive branch and see would there be any interest in maybe coming back and getting into the Hall of Fame was Triple H, the guy who he was a dick to all those years back. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's what, what kind of got the ball rolling and they started talking and apparently smoothed out a bunch of stuff. All the litigation had been settled by this point and he agreed to come back and he had a couple of different provisions that he asked for. He asked, uh, explicitly to keep Hulk Hogan away from him. He didn't want to have any interaction with Hulk Hogan because there had been some disparaging things said back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. And I guess Hulk Hogan had got had really gone after him about some things uh, that that Warrior did not appreciate. So I think he said things about his family or something. I, I, I don't remember. I, I never really followed a lot of that gossipy kind of stuff. But apparently, yeah, there was a lot of bad blood because of people that were in that DVD. And I guess there was people that actually asked to be on the DVD to, to just bury him. And it was just, if you watch that DVD, it's like, what? this guy was like the worst guy ever. But he did. The guy didn't, he just, he moved on from the wrestling business. He left. He moved on. He didn't want to, he had no part in it anymore. And they just decided. So to, let's just shit so on let's him. let's just shit on him. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so he leaves. Uh, he comes back, excuse me. He has that provision, don't keep Hogan away from me. And, and there was a couple other things. And everybody, I myself included, I was like, I can't wait to hear what this guy's speech is. This is going to be fucking awesome. He's going to, because I knew just the, the stuff that he, knowing the stuff that I used to read when I would read his site, when he was posting on it all the time. And then some of the things he came out with, he did do a, a couple of political speeches, I guess, uh, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, I can't remember. And he had a couple of controversial ones there where he pissed off some people. And, and I mean, now, obviously, especially, you talk politics, you're going to piss off somebody on either side of the aisle, right? So uh, I never got into politics or, or that kind of thing. Didn't really care about any of that stuff. But... His speech, it was going to be the one where this is it. He's either going to come out and he's going to bury everybody because what the fuck does he care? He doesn't wrestle. He doesn't give a shit. And it's and it's him. He doesn't he doesn't need this. Like, turn off his mic. He'll just go. It's all right. See ya. He doesn't. You know what I mean? Like he didn't care. So well, it was I think like that's that. the thing. Everyone was just like, there were people like, ooh, <laughs> let me get the popcorn and watch this. Yeah. And then there were people biting their nails, like, what the fuck is he gonna say? Is my <laughs> name gonna get called out? Right. Yeah. And that. And that's the thing. And I think the only person he, he mentioned was Ted DiBiase. I think that was the only one. And uh, and it wasn't even that bad. He just kind of, he was just kind of like a little razzing at him, but kind of like a, yeah. yeah, I know you didn't want me in the business. I I know. Kind of, kind of one of those things, but then he kind of left it alone. Yeah, it wasn't and like he like dug it and said, "and fuck you" and this no, and this and no. air and dirty laundry. He didn't no. do that. I mean, he did talk about how he was hurt by a lot of the stuff. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he talked about being hurt by the DVD and how it was just on untr- all of it was just untrue and and he explained his side of things and how 
you know, and, and, and it's true. Like he would, uh, he was very close with the McMahon family. He had Linda McMahon do his induction introduction speech or in, induction. Is that what's called induction? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, geez, I don't know why I'm anyway. Yeah. He has Linda McMahon do his induction speech and everything. So he, he felt close to her, obviously. Uh, you know, he used to stay at the McMahon house when he'd be in the area in Connecticut. He, you know, he wouldn't go to a hotel. He'd go to their house. So he was very close with the family. And then to have that happen and all this stuff happen, it was just like, what the fuck? So it's like losing your family, a part of your yeah, family. Kinda, yeah, kind of. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so he felt betrayed. And, and I, I think rightfully so. Uh, who knows why they do the things they do. But anyway, so he has the speech and then goes to WrestleMania the next day, WrestleMania 30. Goes out, gets the big wave in front of everybody, gets a huge reaction from everybody, of course. And then the next night is Monday Night Raw, and he goes out, and I remember watching that live. He's going out of the rain. He's just walking kind of slow because it's the ramp and everything. So he's probably not used to it because they didn't have the ramp when he was wrestling, right? And so he gets in the ring. He's kind of slow getting in the ring, and he goes up to shake the ropes, and it was a very, like, Kind of like a half-ass shake. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, he's looking old. Shit, that sucks. It's too bad. You know, because you, you I had this picture in my mind. And, of course, I'd seen him previously at the Hall of Fame and at WrestleMania and everything. And he still, when you would make his appearances, like for the video game, he'd be in full paint and in his, like, duster trench coat jacket with no shirt on underneath. And he was still tan and shredded and ripped. And he looked awesome. Still looked like the ultimate warrior, like in shape. The guy always kept himself in shape. And uh, it was just like, oh, shit, like almost like he aged a lot in that couple of month period. And he he starts talking and then he, he stops for a minute and he's like, oh, I got to whatever he said. I got to I don't know what to say. And, oh, I, uh, and he pulls out like the little Ultimate Warrior mask, which, which is like his like a little thing you put well, on. It's like he feels it. And he pulls it. On. He's like, yeah, puts it on. He's like, he now is now, embodying. Now, yeah, now the he ultimate warrior. Yeah, now he like kind of goes back. He transforms yeah. into the ultimate warrior. You know, he puts the mask on. All of a sudden, now he's the ultimate that was warrior. Cool. And then he cuts this incredible promo, maybe like a minute and a half long, and he's just talking about every day. Or one day, every uh, man, like will, every man's a, a heart man, will beat. A man will beat its, its fi- uh, a heart will beat its final beat. A man will breathe his final breath, and he's just saying all this stuff, and and he's talking about how the ultimate warrior will live forever, and and just like it was incredible. Yeah, about little, the legacy that you leave because yeah. you know, getting in the hearts and the blood and the soul of other people, you live on forever. Right. And but, it was beautiful. and It was. It was it awesome. it turned out to be very profound. Yeah. Like, almost like the guy, like, and then the next night, he goes home, or, or yeah, he, I think they made it home. He, like, they got yeah. off the airplane and everything, and they were in the- Arizona. Yeah, and they're, they're in the hotel room, uh, the hotel parking lot, I guess, and he had a heart attack and just died right there in the parking lot. It was like, what? Because I remember finding out about it, and I was just like, what do you mean he's- What? It was so weird dead? because like, it's like, what? we just saw him on I TV just saw last him. night. He, he was fine. Like, what? He died? Yeah. What? Yeah, it was just very surreal, crazy. And uh, yeah, it turns out that final thing he did on TV was just so like, like almost it's like almost he gave eerie. himself his own, he, yeah. yeah, almost like he eulogized himself yeah. kind of, right? Yeah. It's just insane. So 
we were watching that and I said to you, do you think he knew that he was going to die? Because that wasn't a scripted promo that he did. I mean, they didn't script that for him. That's totally him. Mm -hmm. That was all him. It just makes you wonder, like, did he have, like, maybe deep down, no, I'm not going to be around much longer. I, you know, I kind of feel it, you know, and like making and watching the documentary and everything and seeing him going around and running into all these people that maybe talked shit about him or, or whatever and running into them and burying the hatchet, shaking hands, hugging, making amends, forgiving each other. Like Hulk Hogan, who avoided him at the Hall of Fame, but then saw him the next day at WrestleMania, made a point to stop and go and see him. And of course, there's cameras on them, which is why I always question when there's a camera on, is this legit what's going on here? But you see them and you could see Warriors kind of like, kind of slowly turning from guard up to slowly the guards going down and finally like, I accept your apology and they shake hands and they hug and, and it's like, okay, you're seeing all this stuff happen building up to his appearance on raw where he gives this speech and everything and then leaving and he gives Vince a big hug. And like the last picture he took was with Vince and he looks, they look, they both look really happy just in that split second in time that captures that image, you know, on the camera, on the picture, they, they both look really happy. And then he dies, not even 24 hours later. It's like, what? Like, did he know? Do you think it was one of those where like he just, he made amends that that one thing he had left to do, which was tie up all these loose ends, clear his name, I guess, by going out, saying his piece, giving his side of everything, showing people, I'm not fucking crazy like these assholes said. I'm actually a fucking good guy. I'm a family man. I have two wonderful daughters, a wonderful wife. I'm uh, I'm not a stupid idiot. I'm very intelligent. And, and then and he gets to shake hands with people, make amends and everything. Do you think he just went, all right, I'm done. I've done it. I'm out. Can I talk now? (laughs) Do you think that's what happened? I think this is my own personal feeling, thought. We all have different exit points in our life that we can take. Think of our life like a freeway, and there's different exits that we can get off on. And my question is that I I guess what I wonder is, was this an exit point that he felt... It's okay to go here and now. Everything's going to be okay. My family's going to be okay. I've cleared my name. I feel better. I've forgiven. I'm ready. Or was it just, it was his final exit point where it was going to happen no matter what. And the universe just aligned everything for him to get to that point. So he could find forgiveness and he could feel vindicated and he could release a lot of that pain and that hurt and show everyone who he is. And he knew his family would be okay. Yeah. Cause I, and I, I mentioned it to you. He was like, I think it was like a scene where he's like, uh, he's like shaking hands with triple H and Vince McMahon and his, his wife and his daughters were there. And I, I as that scene was happening, I watched him going, Hmm. Do you think right there he's he's thinking I'm I'm back now I'm with the company I signed a legends deal I'm in the video game he 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 was gonna be like an a goodwill ambassador or something so I think he mm-hmm. was gonna start doing appearances for the company and representing the company and stuff like that and uh, I w- do you think he just kind of figured I'm I'm back so they're gonna take care of my 
my family if 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 they need it. And what happened? They took care of his family. I mean, his wife, last I knew, was still had a job with the company mm-hmm. doing, I think, in, in the creative department, I think. It could be different, and it could have changed by now, but I know for a while she was definitely an employee there, and mm-hmm. they still have, every year since he passed, the Warrior Award, mm-hmm. which was actually an idea he came up with during his Hall of Fame speech. And that's something where he had this great idea. Great idea. Recognize like the unknown people behind the scenes. And they took it and they did something else with it, which is okay, but I really felt like why not? I get I get where they wanted to go with it, but why not do something to recognize the people behind the scenes that nobody knows about? And I think that they did that in 2019. They gave it to a, a lady who'd been with who's been with the company forever who I think started the Make-A-Wish stuff with mm-hmm. them and, and does a bunch of other charity stuff for the company, but she's been there forever. But yeah, his idea was to uh, to call it the Jimmy Miranda Award because Jimmy Miranda was like the original merchandise guy and he would go to all the towns and he'd set up the merch table and he'd help come up with merchandise for guys and stuff like that. So I thought, I just, I thought it was really cool. And I thought that right there said a lot about the guy because that, up to that point, he's the only guy that ever thanked the crew, the guys setting up the ring mm-hmm. who would put, he said he'd watch them put the, set up the ring, go take a quick shower, grab a hot dog, and then go and ask them, ask him, do you need me to get you anything? Do you need anything? And these guys who are working their asses off, driving all night, getting barely any sleep, are, are going and making sure the guys are okay after they busted their ass to set mm-hmm. up the ring and then they go and take it down and drive yeah. them. He, like, he was putting all this stuff over and talking about it and calling attention to it and just saying, like, none of this stuff happens unless you have those people, so shouldn't we have an award for them? I thought that said a lot about the guy it right does, there. It does, because it was almost like the reaction in the room is... Take attention off of us. Like, we're the stars. Yeah. But, like, I, and that's the thing. Like, all the people behind the scenes who do that work, the crew, and it's such hard work, a lot of what they do. And they're running the same hours. They have to be at the same shows as you. So they're on the same schedule. And you go in and you bust your ass for what? five to 20 to 30 minutes for a match they're doing it for how many hours beforehand to set it all up and then how many hours after to break it all down so it's a lot of work and it was so yeah cool. while you're back in the hotel room showering and, and then these guys at are the still bar working so whatever. it was yeah, really exactly. like i i remember i heard that and i'm like fuck yeah that is awesome yeah and it's it's refreshing that somebody not a part of it so to speak you know he didn't have to do that stuff but he recognized it and called it out right and i thought that was wonderful yeah and that's why i said like i thought that said so much about the guy and what kind of a person he was because how 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 has nobody ever said anything about that up until that point you know what i mean it was it's amazing but so they keep his his memory lives on Mm -hmm. obviously i mean that's a character you're never going to forget once you see him but they do the Warrior Award every year uh, in, in his memory and everything. And and hopefully they do start eventually going back and giving it to somebody in the company who's been there forever, who's behind the scenes. If people yeah. don't know their name, you know, people that are not in the company, you know, yeah. fans, give give recognition. I think that's something that should be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess I wonder, too, like, I think when we transition from this life in between, you know, this life and the next life, you know, do we run into the soul of the ultimate warrior and be like, 
hey, you're, what was that like? <laughs> you know, like, because, you know, have that conversation and, and just, you know, I look at it like we're all connected. What's it like staying in Vince's house? Yeah. What's he keeping his fridge? <laughs> what kind of cook is Linda McMahon? <laughs> Come on, like she cooks. I, I <laughs> but no, just kind of uh, thinking it's it's just, it's really interesting. And I guess that would be the one question. Like, was it your final exit point or were you just ready? Yeah. You were like, I, yeah. I can, I feel okay going and I don't have to fight to stay. Because from other people's accounts with near-death experiences, it's a, a lot of times it's either you're you're ready but you get kicked out or you're not ready and you are fighting and it's like okay and it's like we have these different points where we could go but are we ready for it whether we haven't done what we needed to here or you know and, and so we're not able to go or we're just kicking and screaming saying fuck no I'm staying and I just that's the one thing I'm curious about which one is it yeah and I know for him I know it was it was a heart attack that he died from and I know it was genetic like he knew I think his father and his grandfather and maybe an uncle all had the same thing and all died in their mid-50s which I think he was 54 when he passed away so he kind of knew I think just based on on his genetics that he might be on borrowed time or he may only live till that age and I think even one of the one of the biographies or one of the documentaries that we saw in him I think last year mentioned that his first wife mentioned that he knew he wasn't going to live a long life so he wanted to live and make an impact in the short time that he had believe that was her his first wife that mm -hmm. said that and funny funnily enough not funnily enough but interestingly interestingly enough, enough thank you she also like put him over as like this dedicated great guy and that's his ex-wife ex. it's his ex-wife who he cheated on and that's why they split up but she still had nothing but good things to say about him and there and and what kind of guy he was so it's kind of, yeah, I mean, that's just right there. I, again, just goes to show you, we, obviously nobody's perfect. People make mistakes. We are, we're all in this journey called life and we're all learning as we go. Nobody has a manual of how to do things. And, and especially nowadays where every day what's acceptable changes <laughs> if, if, you, if you care. Uh, and so it's, it's just incredible the, the polarizing individual that he was. But yeah. I, I, I almost wonder now being removed from it is it because of the kind of guy he was he was maybe too good a guy with too much integrity for a business like professional wrestling which is not really about that sadly i don't know if i would last in a in that kind of profession i am a loving caring person who goes above and beyond for people even to my own detriment because it's just not everyone's gonna care or appreciate it or they'll take advantage of it but it's like i could see myself getting eaten alive in that place you know yeah and and for me like in w wwe for example my, my best friend worked there for for almost five years and i saw just the type of stuff that he had to deal with and i heard all the different goings on in backstage rumor uh, uh, the goings on and what have you and i decided pretty early on that I didn't want to be involved in that. 
just based off of his experiences and and knowing that that's the kind of stuff you'd have to deal with, I wasn't a fan of it. So I kind of never, after a certain point in my wrestling days, I kind of made the decision I'm not going to push any further because I don't think that that's what I want for my life. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that was the, the Ultimate Warrior. Very interesting. But, yeah, it, it just it was very eerie, the circumstances surrounding oh, yeah. his death and everything. And, and obviously... Yeah, it just makes you really wonder. Absolutely, yeah. So, wow, wow, we've talked for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Wow. Right before we start, I'm like, are we even going to be able to get like 20 minutes out of this? Well, we got a little bit more than that. So, Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Let Thank us know you. what you think in terms of the warrior. Like, do you think he knew and was like ready to move on or was it just a kind of freak coincidence? Cause we don't believe in coincidences. Yeah. But what do you think? Let us know. Yeah. You think he just was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. It's good. It's time to go. Mm-hmm. Or do you think maybe like, like you mentioned did the universe just say it's almost time. Let's line it all up so you can get out of here, man. The universe puts you on the track you need to be on one way or another, whether you like it or not. that's yeah that's that's true (laughs) anyway if you are a wrestling fan and you watched wrestlemania i hope it was awesome again as of as of this recording it hasn't happened yet but in about a half hour we're going to be turning on the hall of fame to watch the undertaker get inducted so hopefully that's going to be memorable and special and cool and yeah after this i don't know what we're going to come back and talk about if it's going to be more wrestling or what but we'll see We will see until next time. Again, as Monique said, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I am the Golden Greek, Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast. We love hearing from and interacting with our hearers and watchers. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HomewreckerPod. You can also visit our website, HomewreckerPodcast.com, where you can check out past episodes and pick up some Homewrecker Podcast gear from our online store. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're hearing or watching our show. That way you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can check out the video versions of our show at YouTube and Brideon. You can also find Monique in a few places online as well. I'm on Twitter, at underscore Monique Giselle underscore. If you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, incense, candles, and other cool things, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. Or if you're interested in hypnotherapy, you can go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to schedule a free 20-minute consult. And follow me on Twitter, at Monique P-C-H-T. And Alex, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Alex Arion, and you can check out my website, alexarionfitness.com. And if that's too much to remember, we get it. That's why we put it all in our show notes. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we appreciate all of your support. We do. Thank you. We love you.